Would you please open your Bibles to Isaiah 62? Um, we've been uh, working our way through Isaiah. Uh, this, these last few weeks we've been uh, in Isaiah 55 and we're um, working our way, Lord willing, to the end of the book. Uh, the chapter that we are up to this week is chapter 62. Um, and I'll read the whole chapter to start with. Isaiah 62, starting in verse 1. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent... And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no, long, you shall no more be called uh, so you're, you shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored, but those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, Clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken." There's something of a paradox, I think, when we uh, come to pray to God, uh, in that we pray to God to tell him what we uh, want or need, what we want him to do. But as we read before, prayer doesn't really change the mind of God. He only ever gives us what's in his will, and he won't give us anything contrary to his will. Uh, that's uh, what 1 John 5, 14 and 15, which we read before, tells us. God, if we ask anything according to his will, he gives it to us. So if we only, if we only get what God actually already planned, why do we pray? Like, this isn't a, a trivial question. It's, it's actually really strange that we would pray for things that when God is only go, when it doesn't actually change the mind of God it's it's this is a question that I've, I've wrestled with for years it it really stumped me for a very long time trying to work out why on earth we should pray if God's only still going to give us what 
he chooses to beforehand. In actual fact, there are two questions involved here. Uh, we need to sort of break it down into two questions. The first question that we might ask is, why should we pray for things that might not be God's will? Um, And the answer, uh, I'm going to give a quick answer because that's not really what the passage is talking about, but the answer we might say is because we... uh, Uh, because God is our Father, because uh, we have a relationship with God uh, and speaking what's on your mind is really part of any healthy relationship. Uh, Not only that, but because God promises to help us, whether or not he actually gives us what we ask for, he promises to help us and support us with our concerns if we pray to him. Um, And, of course, because we hope that it is God's will that what we ask will be granted to us. So we, so that's why we might ask for things that might not be God's will. Um, but the type of prayer that this passage that Isaiah 62 is talking about is a type of prayer where we pray for things that we know for certain are God's will. Things that God has promised to us that he will not... Uh, we, we trust that he will not uh, refuse us because he has already promised them to us in his word, clearly and unequivocally, and so we pray for them because we know they are God's will. And you might ask, why on earth would we do that? If we know they're God's will, if we know he's going to give them to us, why do we ask for them? And uh, as we go through today, Uh, Isaiah 62, I hope, will be able to answer that question. Uh, The sorts of things I mean by that are God's forgiveness, God's presence, God's spirit, eternal life, growth in godliness, perseverance, and many other things, but especially Isaiah 62 is talking about the consummation of all the promises that God has concerning his new creation all the things that will come about when Jesus returns. Uh, like I said, we've been in, in Isaiah 60 uh, to 62 for a couple of weeks now. Um, and you, if you've been here for a few weeks, you might remember uh, a few weeks ago, Tom Guilford was preaching from Isaiah 60. Uh, and he, he likened these verses, these chapters in Isaiah, to a glimpse at the last page of history like flicking towards the end of the book, just a a quick glimpse at what's going to end up. God is giving us a glimpse of what what history will be like when history is complete. And so it's worth... And so, like I said, we're we're thinking that Isaiah chapter 62 calls us to think about praying for the fulfilment of those promises. Is is there any value in praying for things that God has already promised? Why should we do it? And that's what we're going to look at in this chapter. Uh, As we go, we'll look at it under three headings, three sections, uh, broken up based on who's talking. Uh, So we'll see three groups of people talking. Uh, All of them are echoing the words of God, but... 
uh, you can distinguish who's talking in each section. Uh, so the first five verses, uh, we see a prophet talking. The word of the prophet. Uh, just one voice. He says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Uh, we, this is uh, a figure that we met last week. Uh, a figure who has been anointed by God's Spirit to bear witness, to announce and even achieve the great promises of God. Uh, if you look back up the page at Isaiah 61, uh, verse 1, it talks about the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and so on. Uh, and we saw last week that there is this great expectation of a messianic figure who will bring God's promises to fulfillment. Uh, and again, if you were here last week, um, or if you know your Bible, you might recognize that Jesus quotes those verses uh, and says, these are talking about me. Jesus himself identified himself as the fulfillment of this prophetic messianic figure. And, I, and so Isaiah 62 verse 1 continues uh, the same person speaking. And here in these verses in Isaiah 62, we see another facet of his ministry. So we saw last week how he announces and achieves God's ministry, and he is continuing to do that in Isaiah 62, but he's also interceding and praying for God's, for God's fulfillment of God's promises. Uh, he says, I will not be silent, I will keep praying, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Uh, Isaiah loves um, images of brightness shining, uh, he often uh, talks about righteousness and salvation shining forth like uh, headlights shining the way, brightening up a darkened street, uh, or a great bright dawn uh, bringing, breaking through the night, bringing light and warmth into the day. Um, and so as we read of this figure praying to God, refusing to be silent, uh, and praying that God will fulfill these things, uh, he is picking up on the language that Isaiah has been building throughout his book so far, talking about the way that God will bring righteousness and salvation to his people. Praying uh, then according to the promises of God, praying that God would do something that he has already promised to do, is actually part of the ministry of Jesus. And we might ask, why does he do this? Does he want things that are different from the Father? And so he's saying, you know, Father, I, don't, I know you don't want to do this, but can you do it just for me, please? Of course not. These are things that the Father has promised. And, of course, we believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit share one will. They want the same thing. That's, why, that, that's part of what we mean, that the three are unified in, as one God. 
Uh, is Jesus praying these things because he, he worries that the Father might forget that he's made these promises? No. No, God does not forget. God is faithful, as we sang this morning. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. God's word is sure. His memory is perfect. Um, So maybe Jesus prays because he's not sure that God will actually go ahead with it. He's, of course not. Again, we can uh, say that Jesus, like, we know that Jesus trusted his father completely. And we even see that in these verses uh, that these, these verses indicate that, G, that the, the Jesus here fully expects God's promises to come to pass. Verses 2 to 5. The nations shall, shall see your righteousness, all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young woman, uh, sorry, young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the the bride, so shall your your God rejoice over you. This is a, a confident testimony to the promises of God. There's no, there's no sort of sense of, well, I think this is what God says, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen, but I'll just, you know, double check, right? You shall be called by a new name. You shall be a crown of beauty. And so on. <clears throat> and as I said last week, uh, we saw how Jesus isn't just testifying to the promises of God. He doesn't just believe them, but he accomplishes them. Um, We could look at uh, here the promise of a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. Jesus brings us that new name. The new name doesn't speak here of Jerusalem's potential any more than it reflects Jerusalem's uh, present reality. to call Jerusalem, my delight is in her, would uh, we might say goes against everything that Isaiah has really established up to this point. Uh, Isaiah has repeatedly shown Jerusalem to be so corrupt and depraved as to be beyond all human hope. In uh, a few hundred years after Isaiah, Jesus would weep over the city in disappointment that they had rejected their Messiah. Humanly speaking, they, would, they were not and would never be a city that delighted God. Uh, likewise, they uh, were absolutely not a land that could be termed uh, married or blessed in that sense. Uh, this city... Uh, Isaiah had spoken of already in Isaiah 39, he'd spoken of how the city would be decimated in judgment over their sin. Uh, We read earlier from the story of Abraham, how God gave Abraham a new name. Uh, And when God gave him the new name Abraham, meaning a father of a multitude, uh, we didn't quite read far enough down, but Abraham basically goes, you're joking, right? 
I'm 99 years old. My wife is 89 years old, and even when she was young enough to have kids, she had fertility problems. And and you're, you're going to call me father of a multitude. When God gives someone a new name, he's not talking about their potential. He's not talking about who they are, who they are on the inside, who they think they're going to be if they try hard enough. When God gives someone a new name, he is promising what he will make them. It's a glimpse into the new creation, a glimpse at the end of history. It's a glimpse into the new life that Jesus will give us, uh, just as Paul said of anyone who is in Christ. He is a new creation. How does that come about? Well, the New Testament tells us it comes about through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Jesus died, of course. His body uh, was put to death on the cross. And then he was raised to new life as the first fruits of the new creation. He was given a whole new kind of life, a new humanity. And because we have the spirit of Jesus, we are therefore united with Christ in such a way that the New Testament speaks of us as having died with him and being raised to life with him. Whatever we used to be like is dead, put to death on the cross, and so we experience the power of the new creation by the Holy Spirit of God within us, giving us new life in God, so that we can live righteousness, so that we can be a crown of beauty in the hand of God. So that we can be people of whom it is said, my delight is in them. And so all of this tells us something very important about the prayer of Isaiah 62 verse 1. That God will fulfill all his eternal promises. It tells us that Jesus is asking the Father to apply to us the blessings that he has already won. Jesus is asking the Father to apply to us the blessings that he has already won. These aren't blessings that that Jesus wants and the Father is like, yeah, convince me. These aren't blessings that are even sort of just theoretical. These are blessings that Jesus has won on the cross, that Jesus has achieved in his resurrection. And now he says, Father, through your Holy Spirit, achieve these works in my people. Uh, More than that, Jesus is praying that these things would be swiftly consummated, that they would be brought to completion both in us and in this earth by his return. Jesus is Uh, seeking to come back swiftly and bring all these things to full completion in us. And why is he praying that? Because he loves us. Because nothing could bring him greater joy 
because nothing could bring us greater joy than for all the new creation blessings to be fulfilled in us and in the earth by him coming back to physically stand upon the earth once more. And the rest of Isaiah 62 then calls us to join Jesus in that prayer for the very same reasons. Uh, Verses 6 and 7, we reach the prayer of the watchman. Uh, or verses 6 to 9, but we'll start with verses 6 and 7. Uh, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Uh, In these verses, Jesus is speaking to a group of people whom he calls watchmen, or those who put the Lord in remembrance. That is, his faithful people who pray to God, call on the name of the Lord to fulfill his promises. Again, we're not talking about praying because God might forget uh, or, or anything like that. We're pr- this is, these verses are talking about praying because we so desire, so earnestly desire that God will fulfill these things that we want to continually Remember them before God until he fulfills them. Uh, Take no rest and give him no rest. I think that's such uh, an exciting, beautiful image. Uh, How how many times do you uh, see people uh, pestering someone? A person pestering someone to asking the same thing over and over again, just trying to trying to get them to change their mind or, or do something that they want, and and you say, "Give it a rest. Give it a rest. Just just stop trying to pester and just give up. Give it a rest." God says, "Don't give it a rest." This is a call to diligence, urgency, earnestness, boldness. Don't give it a rest. Continually praying to God. Continually bringing these things before God. Take no rest. Give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. Uh, This is essentially the same prayer as what has uh, been prayed in the first five verses. Until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Uh, now, it might, uh, we, we might ask, what is he uh, praying for here? Who is he praying for? Um, is it a prayer for the earthly city of Jerusalem? Uh, it certainly seems like it. I think Isaiah would have um, understood it to be that, that God was uh, calling the, his people to pray uh, for the physical city of Jerusalem. And as much value as there might be in that, uh, there, are ti- there are things in the Bible that become clearer as you go through the Bible. Uh, we talk sometimes about progressive revelation, um, which is not to say that God's promises change, but sometimes they become more clear throughout the Bible. They become more specific. They are more clearly revealed progressively revealed as the Bible unfolds. 
And, and what we see as the Bible unfolds, particularly in the later parts of the New Testament, is that the expectations that we should have for Jerusalem, for God to make Jerusalem glorious, are fulfilled in the new Jerusalem, a heavenly city uh, which will be brought to earth when Jesus returns. The new Jerusalem will be a praise in the earth, we should expect, we should pray for the new Jerusalem to come. Uh, the Revelation tells us that the new Jerusalem will be the capital city, if you like, of the new earth, where Jesus will reign with us for eternity. It will be glorious when all the people of the earth bring their glory into it. It will be a praise established in the earth. And the New Jerusalem is our home. Uh, Galatians talks about the heavenly Jerusalem being our mother. She is our home. We are citizens of this New Jerusalem. Uh, And so that's why we want to see it established in the earth, because that will mean our glory as well. Uh, Verses 8 and 9 continue to reiterate the same promises of God. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have laboured, but those who gather it shall, those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Does anyone like paying taxes? Uh, I don't, I don't know if anyone likes paying taxes, but uh, I think a lot of people feel the, uh, feel that it's a bit, um, harsh to have to part with your hard earned cash, um, for, for someone else's profits. But I, but taxes are a good thing compared to what God is talking about here. Uh, with taxes, the money goes back into the nation, uh, and whether or not you agree with how it's used, at least you get a say in that, and at least you uh, might see and experience the benefits of the tax the tax that you pay. But the the way that God's talking here is all of your profits, all of your income, all of the things that you grow and Uh, and should enjoy, go to a foreign power never to be seen again. It was a punishment that Israel faced time and again in the Old Testament. Uh, You can read about that all through the narratives, especially the book of Judges. Uh, As they sinned, God sold them into the hand of their enemies, and their enemies oppressed them and took their their uh, money, their crops, their children, uh, all sorts of things, all the good things that they grew were taken by others. And they never saw a cent. But never again, says God, I will, those who, sorry, those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, 
and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Uh, this is language talking about the celebration of God's bountiful goodness to Israel in uh, the festivals of, uh, of God's uh, blessing. God's people enjoying the fruit of their labors in his presence to his glory. Uh, God says he has sworn that this will be the case by his right hand and by his mighty arm. Uh, We read earlier in Psalm 29 how the voice of the Lord is powerful. Um, That is to say it uh, achieves everything that it says. Whatever God says uh, by his very act of speaking it, he brings it to completion. And so for then God to swear that something will happen gives a double assurance to us that this is an unchangeable, eternal, certain promise. <clears throat> uh, which again begs the question, why pray for things that God has promised? If we are so certain that they will come to pass, well, God has promised it. Uh, sorry, God has has called us to do it. Uh, He says in verse 6, On your walls I have set watchmen. This is something that God has called us to. Um, In some profound way, God's plan is that his people's prayers would be part of his fulfillment of his promises. God has intended, intentionally uh, ordained it that the people's prayers uh, would be part of uh, his fulfillment of his promises because when he responds to his people's prayers, uh, we see that God is faithful and loves his people and does what is good for them. Uh, Moreover, it gives us hope. Uh, putting God in remembrance doesn't just, bene- doesn't just make God remember his promises, it makes us remember his promises. <clears throat> uh, and moreover, it spreads hope, uh, which is uh, the, la- the, the point of the last section, that the hope spreads throughout the world as people hear and see the good things that God has in store. Uh, we see in the final three verses, 10 to 12, the song of the redeemed. That is the celebration uh, of all of God's people, those whom he has saved in the past, the present, uh, and even our future. <clears throat> uh, look at the celebration of, their, of the redeemed people. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called a sought out, a city not forsaken." Uh, This is another one of Isaiah's favorite images, uh, the image of a road, a a highway 
on which God's people will travel into his holy city. Uh, if you, uh, in the lead up to any uh, Olympics or, or maybe a soccer World Cup, they're usually the biggest events uh, in the world calendar. <clears throat> uh, frequently, if a city has uh, the Olympics coming up, there'll be a huge uh, infrastructure spending spree. Uh, tiny back roads will be suddenly turned into enormous highways uh, and and all sorts of things preparing the way for masses of numbers of people to come into the city. And that's kind of the idea of what Isaiah is talking about with this highway. He's talking about preparing a huge highway to enable all of God's people to come to his holy city. build up build up the highway clear it of stones lift up a signal over the peoples Isaiah says there's going to be a need for a huge highway to the new Jerusalem because all of God's people from all of history are going to be traveling along this highway into the city of God the people are coming, Isaiah says. That is uh, a reference to the redeemed Israelites, the people uh, of Israel who believe in him, uh, being brought into the new Jerusalem from wherever they have been banished throughout the world. Uh, Likewise, uh, the peoples are called. That is all the elect from all the peoples of the nations, the Gentiles. That's you and me, uh, unless there's some... uh, um, some uh, ethnic Jews in among us, which I'm not aware of. Uh, I think all of us in this room are Gentiles and will be travelling along a huge highway to get to be in the presence of God for eternity. The promise is for all the daughters of Zion. Like I said before, according to the New Testament, that includes us too. All the citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. God has issued the call. He has raised a signal over the nations. He has proclaimed to the end of the earth that the time is near. Behold, 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 he says, your salvation comes. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. Jesus is coming soon. He will bring salvation and justice and our new eternal home. (coughs) He will bring us the fullness of joy. And for all eternity they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. God's people restored. God's enemies brought into fellowship with him. This is God's plan for all eternity, to make a people for himself. Those who were not my people will be called my people. She who was not beloved, I will call beloved. 
And in the very place where it was said of them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. The invitation is open. The promise will soon be fulfilled. Uh, Even if you have never been one of God's people, even if you know that you are God's enemy, you are able, you are invited by the sacrifice of Jesus to come to God through faith in him. He gives us a new nature. He gives us a new name. He gives us a new identity as one of God's children. He gives us a new home in the city of eternity, the new Jerusalem. He gives us hope and joy in the promises of God. Uh, And he calls us to hope and pray for their fulfillment. Uh, Well, I started once more again. I started with the question, why pray for things that God has already promised? And the answer is because these are the greatest joys that we could ask for. That's not to say there's there's anything wrong with praying for for things that God hasn't promised. By all means, pray for pray for all sorts of things. But if we pray, if uh, if we hope in the promises of God, then we should pray for the promises of God. Why not pray for those things if that's what fills your heart with joy? Of course we should pray to God for them. They are the greatest things we could hope for. Uh, I've heard it said sometimes that we shouldn't pray for things that God has promised if it makes it sound as though we don't believe that God has promised them. And there's some truth in that. If uh, I've heard people pray in a way that makes it sound like God maybe won't fulfill his promises, uh, or at least that they don't know that God has promised things. But the fact that God has said he will do something doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for it. On the contrary, if we really want God to fulfill his promises, then praying for them is exactly what we should do. Praying with faith and with confidence and with joy and with hope and with thanks. Because here's the best thing about praying for God's promises to be fulfilled. As uh, the Apostle John says, uh, we believe in the name of the Son of God because we... Because we believe in the name of the Son of God and because we know that we have eternal life, we have this confidence towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we ask of him. So join me uh, as I pray for the promises of God to be fulfilled. Uh, Lord God, we thank you so much for the, uh, the work of our Lord Jesus to achieve on the cross uh, all that is necessary for the promises that you have made to come to pass. We thank you for his spirit within us, uh, changing us, transforming us day by day, uh, as we talked about earlier. Uh, sanctifying us, bringing what we are in Christ to be a reality in us. 
And Lord, we pray that you would return, that Christ would return on this earth to bring all of the promises to pass. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Bring your promises to pass. For we know that you will keep us till we're home with you at last. Uh, Lord, we pray we give you no rest until you establish Jerusalem and make it a praise in the earth, our home, our hope. Lord, we look to you by faith that you would fulfill your promises in this earth soon. In Christ's name, amen.